Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Yes, I mean you. Your attention, please. This is the PowerShell Podcast. PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. We have with us today a man who is so much a part of the culture that he scarcely needs an introduction. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm uh, co-host Jordan Hammond with another smooth intro like I always have uh, here with other co-host Andrew Plaw. And uh, we got special guest Brett Miller, who's going to solve all of your PowerShell problems in one hour. Hello. I'm not, I'm not sure if I am going to, but hello anyway. <laughs> no pressure, but uh, that's the standard we set at this point. I, I would not want to disappoint. Yeah, please don't. There's a lot of pressure. Um, we've had some great episodes recently, some great convos. I think that we're about giving solutions, but also kind of introducing new things. And I wouldn't say creating problems, but creating new opportunities for growth and new, new things, introducing people to things they maybe don't know about yet and i know you've been around the scene and in the powershell world at least i've been watching you for many many years now um how many years have you been a microsoft mvp um i've just been renewed for my third year on my microsoft mvp which shocked me as well um i was, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, when the renewal came through this year I didn't shock me I, i'm happy for you man i, I think you've done a lot of great stuff and if you just generally look at your presence it's always a really uh positive presence you do a lot of awesome stuff and it's exciting to see someone find some success so congratulations appreciate that it's it's uh it's been fun i think what i do and what i get involved with has evolved and changed since i first started out doing it uh, especially over the past um three apocalyptic years um the role of what I do in terms of community contributions has definitely changed. Um, just sort of standing in this room and uh, talking to people over Teams for hours on end. This is StreamYard. This is this is exclusive. This is <laughs> way different. <laughs> so yeah, mention Teams. Is this what brought? I saw you had uh, in your GitHub a module uh, Microsoft Teams where you can. Post message via webhook. Did that come about because of all of the forced usage? No, no that was actually one of uh, the first PowerShell module I'd ever written. Um, back when I didn't even know what JSON was at the time. This is like my first foray into building something and pu publishing something and getting something out there. I mean, I don't even know when that was now. I want to say around 2015, 16 time. Um, and that was it was pretty early on. I think Teams was had just come out, and it was uh, it was getting adopted at where I was working at the time. And um, I wanted to. I think we were using Solar Winds or something like that for for alerts. And I wanted to try and integrate some of the Solar Winds stuff into, into Teams. And webhooks were there. It was still a pretty immature product in terms of what you could do with it. And I was I started poking and playing and figured out how you could formulate JSON to send a message to Teams. And that was the first thing I'd, I'd published and published to the gallery way back when. So yeah, that was, it's pretty cool. It's, I still use that now, actually. It's it's a pretty basic module in terms of if you compare it to other stuff that's out there, but um, I've used that for migrations just to send basic basic stuff in there when, you, when you're tracking. 
automation and things like that. It's, this is funny because I didn't realize before we started this that I used this at my old job years ago. <laughs> um, this kind of coincided with my venture into chat ops a little bit and you know, using outputting from PowerShell to Microsoft Teams. And I definitely use this module quite a bit. And uh, this week I was actually talking to some listeners of the show who are kind of just starting to get into that. So definitely check out the Brett Miller Microsoft MSFT Teams GitHub project if you're interested in sending some messages from PowerShell to Teams. And if you haven't done that yet or you haven't explored that capability, it's really fun and surprisingly not that hard. And kind of once you have it in your tool bag, you can keep going back to it and it feels powerful. Yeah, it's it, it's really good. It's, it's quite easy to customize it if you know the JSON structure and... Um, I try to keep the module as simple as possible. There's other modules out there which do similar or, or the same, um, which are a lot more complex in terms of what you can do with them. Um, but mine was literally a simple use case of I want to fire stuff at Teams and it'd be really basic and simple to use and it fit the bill. And I haven't, I, besides publishing it to the gallery, I didn't do that straight away. I only had it on, on my GitHub for a little while. Um, and I think it was about a year after I decided to publish it to the gallery and, and share it out there. Um, but it's, yeah, I still, I still use it now. I used it for, for migrations about two years ago just because it's it's real simple and lightweight. So, This opens up some opportunity because I remember when we had Yap on, he told us he was the one that added the uh, exclamation point slap into Slack where you could slap some of the fish. Could we recreate this for teams with your with your tool here? This, this is where my love-hate relationship with, with teams and uh, chat ops comes in. Um, I've I've used the the slap command that that Yap talked about with um with Slack. Um, it's slightly the more complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's slightly posh. more complicated. Um, with Teams because of the the construct of Azure Active Directory and permissions and mm -hmm. bot framework, it's it's not a symbol, and it's mainly because Teams doesn't support WebSockets that you start running into issues. So yeah, um, yeah, it is possible. Um. It's just a lot more complex than the the current implementation of of how it's done in Slack. I, th I yeah, think we need I think... Uh, experts to get in as soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know if you need this module. I'm pretty sure the slap command works just fine in Teams with Poshbot now that there is a back end. But like you're saying, there's so much stuff you could do if it was a bit more user friendly. Like my, that's my experience with Teams as well. It's like this yeah. kind of convoluted thing. It's like, yeah. This is no longer PowerShell stuff. It's, I think it's, 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 it's such a such a large product in terms of the the features that it's got that it, it's a lot more complex in terms of what you have to do to get started with it. That barrier to entry is just a, that little bit higher than it is with, with with Slack. If if you're just somebody who isn't a developer and you want to build something, it's a lot more complicated in, in the Teams world, unfortunately. And I've tried a few times. Um, the the they're so far apart every time I try that everything's changed by the time I try it the next time. So it's a, just a massive learning curve every time. <laughs> yeah. It would be really nice if we could take advantage of the features, like have it, you know, they have like the interactive buttons or things like that, or, you know, the things you could do would be really cool, but yeah. yeah Maybe I've, I've one done, day. I've done similar stuff and Steve Lee from the PowerShell team um, showed how you can use outgoing webhooks from teams to call uh, APIs and, and functions and stuff. I think that was at um, PSConf EU possibly 2019. Um, and they they basically built a, a GitHub bot, which was Azure Functions backend and using Teams to uh, 
restart CI/CD processes and do approvals and things like that. Um, so I've, I've had to play with with all of those without getting too complex. Um, the other scenario with with Microsoft is a lot of their examples are uh, C Sharp, Node.js, um, and some of the stuff for Teams is, is React as well. And so using the React framework to do a lot of the design elements. So that's where I quickly run out of um, knowledge and and expertise and I run out of patience because I want to build something quickly, not learn a new language. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's fun stuff. Though we'll see where that kind of space oh, goes. Yeah. Um, earlier, you mentioned that your the way you've kind of contributed to the community has changed over the past three years, as we can imagine. Yeah. But going back a little bit further, how did you initially start contributing to the community or getting involved and kind of maybe stepping above just being someone in the industry who uses PowerShell? So I, I was working at a at a construction company, a global construction company. So they, they were quite large. Um, uh, I was on third line Wintel core infrastructure, Active Directory management type scenario. Um, and I, I started looking at PowerShell as ways of kind of just automating tedious tasks, provisioning new users, the usual. I think. 90% of the people in, in the industry you speak to who started with PowerShell is Active Directory based um, because that's where we are at the time. Uh, so I started doing that and then it, it branched out into um, how do I do how do I do certain things and I wasn't sure. And at the time I found um, the UK Slack, the UK PowerShell Slack, um, which it, it, it's not as big as the kind of the global PowerShell communities, which are now on, on across various chat platforms and um, Discord, and that's kind of evolved over the years. But the UK, the UK one was a, a nice small group of people where I felt comfortable asking questions, and and then finally built up the courage to contribute into the global one, where there was lots of chatter and lots of really knowledgeable people, and it was very daunting at first. Um, but I, I think I gained so much from those communities. <clears throat> that I kind of felt that I needed to give back a little bit. Like it really helped me, it really pushed me on. Like that, my background is non-computer science, non-computer related whatsoever. And my background is uh, when I left school, I um, I went and got an apprenticeship at uh, Rolls Royce or a subsidiary of Rolls Royce. Um, but it's the Rolls Royce engines that they put in tanks for the, the UK government and the MOD and stuff. Um, and then when I left there, I was doing like computer-aided design, computer-aided manufacture. So like all this, I'm going to code was just totally alien. Like I say, I didn't, I didn't know the constructs of how JSON worked or like for reach loops and just these basic things that I think a lot I take for granted now that maybe a lot of people do struggle with when they first think about learning a language if they've never done, say, a computer science degree or anything that involves that. Um, I kind of felt I needed to give back because of how much that helped me, just being able to ask questions. And what I would deem at the time as noob questions or silly questions, which um, people were willing to donate their time for free to help me, then I kind of, my contributions to the community will have benefited from that. So if I can help people the same way, then I don't mind donating some of my free time as well, kind of helping people up the ladder behind you. Now you're in a pretty cool place, um, but you mentioned that when you were learning JSON, like that was your first time. So did you just kind of get into PowerShell like four or five years ago or? No, no. So that was 
2000, I want to say 2014-15 when I was at oh, the construction okay. when I was at the construction company. Um, I didn't publish much at the time because I was still very new to it. Um, and then the, the Teams module was like kind of the first thing, and I had I think I still got my initial PowerShell repo on my GitHub, which was a collection of Active Directory scripts and Office 365 stuff. Um, because we at the time we were a fully on-premises company migrating to Azure and Office 365. So I was looking at license allocation and the, the usual join us, move us, leave us, leave us processes. So I think a lot of the scripts that I was writing at the time are still up there. And I mean, I look back on those now fondly of, oh, that's where I started. But also I look back on those and go, could have done that so much better. <laughs> but it's 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 quite interesting to look back and see where it all started and, and how you've progressed from there. So I want to meet the person that looks back at their old code and is like, oh, yeah, I crushed it. <laughs> I want I want to meet with that level of confidence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe like if I look back to code I wrote yesterday, I might think that any further than that. And it's, oh no, let's not go, let's not go that deep. <laughs> I mean, if it works and it like worked for the job and it's maybe still being used, even if it's not perfect, I mean, it was still it was a bit of a win. It was the best job that I could do at that time. Coming to my code when I applied here was, it's the ugliest code I've seen, but it looks like it'll work. And it got me the job. So <laughs> yeah, having it work is most important. Yeah, we've all we've all we've all written code that that works. It's uh, it's the moments where you don't know why it does work, but more so why it doesn't work. And it's like, why well, this shouldn't work, but it does. <laughs> that's, that's worse. That that that's the one gets me the most when you know that it shouldn't, but it does anyway. That one will haunt me. <laughs> yeah, especially if it, if it works first time. <laughs> or then not the future times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so we had a we had a um, a script which um, I didn't write. But some of the d developer teams at, at my last organization wrote, um, and it worked third time every time. First two first, first two times it failed. Third time every time worked. So in, instead of finding a new method, did you just build in a loop where it tries three times no matter what? Yeah, yeah you, just, you just ran it three times because you knew there it worked. You go. <laughs> I like it. That is something. I, I ended up fixing it after a while because it, it, it drove me insane. Um, and, and, and it turns out, it turns out that, the, um, that we're doing some prerequisite checks for the person who was running the script. Um, and... They were looping through, I think, all of the Azure subscriptions that you had access to. Um, and it was taking so long that there was like a race condition. So it must not It must have taken so long to populate in the background. I don't. I can't remember if they were running it as a job or something like that. But it took so long to populate in the background that it failed when it tried to move on to the next steps. And it must have worked by the time it got around to the third time you tried to execute it. It was, And I ended up taking all of that code out because it was utterly pointless because they were doing I think it was to make sure that you had permissions to run the, the script but then I realized that you wouldn't have actually been able to get to the location to run the script if you didn't have permissions so it was an utterly pointless check they weren't actually doing anything with the results they were just checking <laughs> so I ended up taking that out and I think it improved the speed of the script by like three times or something like that it took like a quarter of the time to to run the entire thing so I, yeah, I that, just that ended up not fixing it, just like a do while loop. <laughs> just ignore, yeah. just set it to run three times. So I wouldn't run it three times. I just have the code 
run three it's, times. It's when you have to explain to people, you go, oh, yeah, this, the, the script, yeah, you run it. I failed. Yeah, we know. Run it, to, run it twice more. And then you go, we should probably fix that. That's a terrible way to instruct people how to run code. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> if I saw something like that, I would feel a lot more comfortable also producing uh, low-quality code or code that was a yeah. little janky. The, but the benefit is there's massive room for uh, improvements there. So by making that change, triple the efficiency. Look at this guy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, all I did was literally comment comment out like four lines of code. And then it, so it's, uh, it's not like I overhauled the code base. I just took out the bit that was pointless. <laughs> and then chalked it, up, heard, chalked it up for cost like, saving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard some of the best PRs are just removing code. You know, like that's a good PR. If you can find a way to simplify things and take things out more than just adding more and more complexity, that's kind of a good thing. So yeah, yeah. look at you. Heck yeah, yeah. man. It's uh, senior <laughs> engineer. That's what I am. Yeah. When you did that, did you put that down as a deliverable of a refactored uh, process and then just call it a week? <laughs> did I put it down? I'm not sure if I put it down as cost saving. I actually ended up worse off because we used to have to run that out of hours. So I ended up with less overtime paid by making that optimization. Um, it, but the, the developers were over the moon in the QA team because they used to have to wait for us to finish before they could do like QA on stuff. So it was like, oh, we, we don't have to stay up twice as long now. We, we can go to bed earlier because they were, they were in a time zone ahead of us as well. So we were doing it like 9 o'clock. It was already 10 o'clock then to their time. By the time we finished, it was like 2 a.m. So I was like, oh, you can go to bed at 12 a.m. To, at, at, at midnight. There you go. Everybody's happy. <laughs> so what are you working on these days you said this was your previous company uh, where is powershell taking you so i'd attribute powershell to pretty much everything where i am now or at least a good chunk of it um i'm working for capgemini as a, a platform engineer as ambiguous as that name might sound um, but effectively, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a consultant, which I'm still not entirely sure what that involves. Um, I've only been doing that since January, but uh, I'm continuing to learn more. I would say PowerShell is still at the forefront of pretty much everything that I do, especially from a, from a community perspective. It's still my first love, and I, I, I enjoy writing it. Um, but it's, it's not kind of the focus that I that I do on a day-to-day -day basis, um, branching out and doing sort of more DevOpsy stuff. Um, a lot of the stuff I do is pipelines and writing enormous amounts of YAML. Um, but just all sorts, like I'm doing a lot more architecture-related things. Um, a lot of the, the, the clients that I work for will be doing on-prem to cloud migrations. I was doing looking at stuff like BizTalk and absolutely no idea how it worked um but it's just been a massive learning curve getting into all these other avenues that i never really expected to be in and thoroughly enjoying it it's, every day is different there's loads to learn there's loads to do and every day is different but powershell is still still there niggling away waiting to be played with and um doing talks and um, i'm often up at Often later than this, actually, it's it's nine thirty p.m. now. But um, I'm often known to be found at one a.m. in the morning listening to uh, Mike Kanakis on the the Rally Triangle PowerShell User Group and uh, 
not so much now. I'm trying to curb the the late nights, but um, when when the in person ones take place over there, they're, they're generally a little bit earlier, about eleven p.m. my time, so I can I can jump on those. So yeah, PowerShell has been a bit of a journey. It's kind of it's kind of got me to where I am now in terms of um what I know in in the community and the the, the doors it's opened uh, for my career, but it's been a lot of hard work and commitment and time from from me as well um i think i spent a lot of time early when i when i started learning powershell i felt like i i had to spend a lot of time learning things that maybe other people didn't if they'd come from that kind of background of learning programming and it's yeah, it's it's been a bit of a wild ride to be honest. Obviously, I get I get to meet fabulous podcast co-hosts and uh, all of these wonderful community members and from across the across the world. Effectively, it's it's been a bit of a wild ride. And then obviously MVP as well. Crashing it, mind blown. It's I still I still think that it's a mistake. Like it, I don't know if it's meant to go to someone else. Just, somebody's put my address down by mistake. <laughs> a, it seems like you enjoy where things are. Um, sorry, Jordan, go ahead. Were you saying something? I saying, that's our, we, the whole reason we started this by the community is Andrew and I just wanted to talk about how much we love the community. Yeah. And then we got a guest or two figuring it'd be, oh, occasionally we'll get someone. But then the community was so great that now we get a guest every week. And uh, what we started the podcast as is, kind of faded we're we're looking at ways to kind of bring back some of that part of it but just the, the community was so accepting of us wanting to talk about them that we, we always have someone willing to talk about it. it's just been pretty fantastic for us yeah i've had this conversation with a few people in the past that I, you, you tend to find conferences and at these big events you see a lot of the same names um and it would be quite nice to get um people's stories who who maybe aren't the, the the highly sought after keynote speakers and just finding out people and from different walks of life it's it's quite interesting I, I, I quite like people watching and, and and just genuinely interacting and speaking to people and figuring out what makes them tick and so it's it's it, it's interested and um, I'm pleased you asked me to come on we're pleased to have you now it, like I was saying earlier, it sounds like you enjoy where things are now. And I can relate to that. Like, I, I don't know about you, but when you were working on engines or whatever for Rolls Royce, for tanks, did you have any expectations that your career could be as rich as it is now? I guess in terms of community and those relationships and the kind of energy that you get from your career and, and that kind of outreach stuff? It's weird. It's totally weird. Like, when I was doing that, I was doing. I, I wouldn't put the two things side by side and say that they were related in any way, shape, or form. Like I was using metal lathes and I was turning bits of metal and designing things on card and cam and using milling machines and like. But in actual fact, when you you, you step it back, it's engineering. It's solving a problem. It's just that I'm now doing it with a PC and code as opposed to a piece of metal and a welder and all these other things like it's but it ultimately for me i think my brain enjoys the challenge of building something solving a problem seeing an end product now 
there's a lot less of an end product in IT as, as I've found over the years because there's constantly something down the line to, to, to keep going. But um, so when I when I left school after the the, the Rolls Royce thing, it was um, I, I ended up in the building trade. So um, for a while, actually, up until about the past two or three years, I had more qualifications as a carpenter slash joiner than I did as anybody in in IT. Um, and I, I worked in, as a, as a carpenter joiner, fitting uh, fitting kitchens, doing full house renovations, plastering, painting, decorating, you name it. Um, up until about 2000, 2007, 2008, when there was the whole financial crash and nobody had any money anymore and the, the people weren't renovating the houses or wanting new things built. So um, I kind of just fell into IT. I ended up being made redundant uh, and I was applying for jobs. So, but, I mean, I applied to be a bus driver. I applied for a job to be a gardener. Um, I applied, I think, at the time, because I wasn't obviously the only person in that situation. I think I was applying for about 10, 15 jobs a day. Just anything. I was like, I need a job. I'm not really fussed what it is. Like, I've got the same philosophy in any in any role. I just I would give it everything to whatever job I was working in. And it was just by pure chance. Um, I went. I went home, and there was a, an answer phone message for an interview that day, and I and I went down and ended up in a um, a first line service desk role, answering the phones. No remote tools. You had to talk people through resetting the Outlook profiles, and uh, yeah, the rest the rest is history. From there, really, I just re- really enjoyed the, not so much that role, but <laughs> what the role consisted of in terms of um, helping people and, and, and speaking to people and. and learning basically i think i think that's the key sort of message that, that i really enjoy just the learning process of figuring out new things and, and and adding to my knowledge so that's a very cool story about a whole lot of things honestly it's it's really cool um to not come from a kind of computer background and i think some people in powershell definitely have a non computer science background and to see someone kind of get that opportunity to work on computers and then like you said keep learning keep working and all of a sudden you're doing uh awesome stuff and and you are where you are now which is a fantastic yeah. journey yeah um, going back to what you said about about enjoying where i am now i think i, I feel privileged for being able to have made a career that allows me to enjoy what i do and not hate going to work every day there's not that, that's no, not everyone gets that opportunity um but more so for me my priorities have changed as i've got older as my family has grown exponentially um i've got five kids with with one more due in about uh, four weeks so oh congrats and then, and then lots of dogs they're not up here today because we wouldn't be having this conversation i'd be chasing them around, <laughs> trying to stop them eating things um but it's yeah. So my priorities have shifted over the over the years. I think as my career has developed, um, and now I spend a lot of time being fiercely protective of my personal time, um, and especially during COVID and, and during lockdowns and all these other wild scenarios, um, not trying to overdo the work element still trying to squeeze the community element in. But I think my main focus and priority now at this moment in time is family and spending time with them. Um, I spend a significant amount of time standing in fields watching my son play football or soccer for the American audience. 
the proper the proper football. Oh, I'll allow football. <laughs> I, I think uh, Jess Pomfret also called it proper football. Like she, I, <laughs> she, she wouldn't even concede soccer. Yeah, proper football was as close as she'd get. Yeah, I was being polite. <laughs> we don't want to cause any ructions between the listeners. <laughs> we, we actually play a game called Hand Egg. Yeah, we have a we have a similar version. It's just not without all the protection. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, I, I actually watch quite a bit of the NFL as well. I watch a lot of American sports actually. So um, that that comes from my earlier days of not having children and spending late nights watching American sports. Um, but now it's they're on it obscene times so i have to watch the highlights the following day <laughs> uh good old football jordan has some uh, rough feelings towards football after his weekend and uh, no, I, I enjoyed watching the game very much Just i had an idea this weekend to fly into arizona to watch <laughs> the chiefs play football and then that night fly back and make it time make it back a time for work and uh it was going great. And then right before my plane lands to take me home, like a thunderstorm in Arizona, which is extreme desert. It's not, it rarely rains there. Reroutes my plane to Vegas and then they get late in line for gas and fuel to, to leave Vegas. So I ended up getting home around the time I was supposed to be at work the next day. So I, I took, I took Monday off. <laughs> now I don't, I don't, I don't know where you live in relation to Arizona, but I know that, there's no short journeys in the U.S. <laughs> the, the flight's about an uh, hour and a half. It was, I'm not real far from it. Yeah, so that's about here to London, maybe is about an hour. So, yeah, about 300 miles. Around there. Um, now, to circle back a little bit, you said something that really piqued my interest about how when you were working with metal, you were building stuff, blah, blah, blah. You were solving problems is what you're kind of fundamentally doing. Yeah. And I've... I've noticed a tendency for people to think that like working with code or with computers is this massively unique thing. And from my opinion, there are some things that are kind of unique about it, but in general, it's very similar to a lot of other things in that we're solving problems, we're working with humans. Yeah, we're communicating with computers a little bit in a certain way, but a lot of the problems are very consistent between industries. And I don't know if it's always helpful for us to think that like, oh, coding is so special and unique. Um, can you speak to that? How's it been for you when you compare them? I think I don't, I don't think coding programming at all is unique. Literally, anybody can can do it if you if you're able to to, to program a PC and get access to a PC. Um, there's uh, there's a lot more opportunity now than when I was younger. Like I think my IT lessons at school were very much a here's how you use the Office suite, and here's a, uh, the most access I got to something complicated as an access database. And, but now like my kids in comparison have, they've got a Raspberry Pi suite at their school and they learn Scratch and Python from such a young age. Like I would, I would have killed for that. Like the, the, the opportunities they've got now when I look back and I'm like, oh, damn. Imagine, imagine having all of this at your fingertips. And I mean, I think I, I was kind of that too, too young at the time to really get into the, the whole Commodore 64 early sort of programming side of things. Like I think my first PC was like Windows 95 and on like a crappy dial up. Like there was, you know what I mean? There was like, it was like the, the rubbishest part of internet history when things weren't fast enough, but you could still get away with doing some fun stuff, but not on the programming side. 
I was about to make an Oregon Trail joke, and it just dawns on me that's probably a uniquely American experience. No, we had similar things. I think I think the thing we had was Wagons West, which was the <laughs> same, but uh, it, it was like a, a little go left, go right kind of scenario game. Yeah. Can uh, you die from dysentery? Yeah, it's important <laughs> you die from dysentery. Mandatory. Yeah, probably. You, you probably can now in some parts of the UK. Um, <laughs> But no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say programming or coding is unique. Um, I, I found it difficult at first around learning the concepts, and I still find that difficult now. Yeah, like, yes, people. Uh, I, I write PowerShell. I've written bits of JavaScript. I've written bits of C Sharp that are running in production. Like I literally know enough to figure stuff out and read the examples and hack away at it until it works. I'm definitely not any kind of programming aficionado, but it, it just try by doing like get get your hands dirty get stuck in and, and see what clicks for you powershell was the thing that clicked for me it was it was the lowest barrier to entry and even now looking back at c sharp and, and as soon as you start delving down um classes and models and all of the inner workings of a lot of these programming languages still goes way over my head and i started courses on plural site and read books as i've got, I've got a c sharp floating around somewhere that i haven't picked up um, and I, it, it just something's really, I think, got to click with me to get me to delve into it and learn it. I keep saying I want to learn Python, I want to learn Golang, I want to learn the new programming language, but I just haven't had that problem to solve with it yet. And I think it's that end going back to the engineer and I need to solve a problem. It's really difficult to just learn something without having a, a, a tangible thing to solve for, for my brain to engage properly to learn it and. I keep looking back at things that I did start to learn and then I have to start again because I haven't built anything with it or, or solved a real-life problem. And I think it's possibly quite a common scenario that a lot of people do learn by doing as opposed to academic or sort of theoretical work on how things work. Yeah. So for for me, the, the process of thinking through like how to logic is, is probably similar, but... I can sit in front of a computer and figure out how computers work pretty naturally. I mm-hmm. could not drive a nail in straight if my entire family's life depended on it. I have <laughs> I have no ability to do uh, any sort of uh, skilled skilled labor. Like my brother disgusts me because he does all the computer stuff. But he also like tiled his kitchen and remodel like tiled his kitchen, remodel everything. And no way, I just I can't. So for for me, the the big part is. Uh, the difference in them is there's a lot more, I think, of a mental aspect for the programming where there's more of a manual aspect to things like uh, the carpentry and stuff that you said you did, which I, I lack that. I don't know, dude. When you get those angles and you're trying to get this to open the perfect way, it can get a little scientific and quite problem solving to the point where it's, you know, I, I can see it being very similar to like connecting PowerShell commands, sort of. Yeah, so, so, um, so that might. So obviously saying that I struggle with like some of the, the inner work and concepts of programming languages. That I think the maths bit of engineering is the bit that I've always struggled with. I'm not strong at maths by any means. Um, I can kind of do money and basic calculations, but anything beyond that, I'm like, I'll just use a calculator. It's fine. I've got one in my, no, I've got one in my pocket, even though the teacher said I wouldn't have this. Yeah, um, that shows what they know. <laughs> um, but it's... I think it's just about having having the tools at your disposal and the same with carpentry. Like, yeah, you could work everything out manually, but you've got angle finders and gauges and spirit levels and 
uh, if you want to if you want to go old school you've got a, a plum bob and you can kind of factor enough things to get it close enough and then everything else is filled with decorators cork right that's how this works oh yeah i'm not sure what the equivalent american is to de decorate as cork i'm not sure if it's exactly the same i don't know but i'll tell you what i do know i i do know that um the tendency for people to think that like programming is special or that you need to be like some kind of genius probably maybe stems from like back in the day in order to program you had to like write c plus plus or something that was not human readable but like you're saying these days your kids are getting exposed to it in school there's program or like readable languages like powershell um I think that it's important, at least for me, it would have increased my PowerShell learning process if I could get rid of that thinking that the people who were doing the stuff that I wanted to do were geniuses and really just understand they just had more exposure to it. Like you're saying, they solved problems and practice with it, so they got that exposure. They didn't know it before doing that. Yeah, um, and it's, it's, it all comes from experience, and you don't get that experience without actually doing it. And it's, it's, yeah. it's that old, um, I've, I've, I want to learn something, and, and you're looking for a job to do that thing and no, but nobody's willing to teach you to do it because they want someone with experience, but you can't get the experience without somebody taking that initial, okay, you can have a go. It's like a chicken and egg scenario of like, well, how do you get the experience to get, <laughs> to get the job so that you can get the job to get the experience. <laughs> so how yeah. do you look community that I'm a, I'm a, an avid believer of it's definitely not what you know it's who you know a lot of the time um and a lot i mean i've personally benefited from that in the past just happened to be in the right place at the right time or having the right conversation with the right person um so yeah community is massive in in that respect and not only can you can you learn from them but obviously um if you've got a whole host of people who will sort of offer you opportunities because they know that you're hardworking and, and your willingness to learn. I think that goes above and beyond anything that you know. And, and, and I have those conversations regularly with people at work, with people in the community that I would rather see somebody with that hard work and uh, ethic to, uh, than somebody who knows everything, but maybe doesn't have any application or, or they've went about it a slightly different way. It's, it's the whole the same argument with certifications. Do you are certifications better than experience? Or it's it's a difficult one to it's a difficult one to quantify because some people have both, some people have either or, some people have none, which is what which is the the camp I firmly sat in for for quite a while. And um, no experience, definitely no certifications, and I literally only sat some recent certifications, not because I wanted to prove to people that I had certifications, but to quantify the knowledge that I'd learned something whilst working with Azure and those certifications and exams were a way of kind of concreting in my head that I had actually learned something over the past two, three years, which was quite nice. Um, but it's obviously, there's no, there's no one size fits all. It's, it's different for everyone. You mentioned um, like relationships being a great way, and I think it's worth reminding our audience that in order to make these relationships with people in the community and to meet new people, you need to expose yourself to them um, either you know by being involved in the community, by writing a blog, by helping out with different projects. Like There's a, a lot of kind of different ways to get your foot in the door, but it's going to be impossible to be seen if you don't make yourself visible. Um, we yeah. kind of strive to encourage people to get involved in some, some way on some level. 
Yeah, and I think it, it, it's difficult as well at the moment because a lot of people are concerned with the level of exposure out on the internet. You've got all these scare stories of ransomware and phishing and all this other stuff. And I was quite, I wouldn't say I was I had a tinfoil hat on for a while, but I was very much reluctant to put a public persona out there. Everything was, I was using aliases and, and, and my real name was not out there. And uh, But as I progressed through this, I, I ended up um, either creating new accounts or renaming the aliases that I was using to use my real name because that brand, if you will, because a lot of people do talk about a personal brand is, is quite important and having that public presence is there. <clears throat> now, the downside of that is you can't have a public presence and still wear a tinfoil hat a lot of the time because you just have to share that information, uh, whether it be a birthday or you posting pictures online about where you live, those things generally just come out whether you whether you, whether it's intentional or not. Um, but having that, that say like a GitHub, GitHub profile or or a blog or Stack Overflow contributions or one and many of these are the things that people can do to get involved with the community. It's I think it's not essential because you don't need it to succeed. Um, but I think it, it definitely helps when you do have that public persona and people can use that as a reference point to gauge who you are and where you are from a from a professional and a and a sort of knowledge standpoint. Yeah. If you're not happy where you are and you're trying to go somewhere else, you can look for opportunities. But while you're kind of waiting for that to happen, you can learn these new skills. You can write your new blog. You can contribute to that project. You can reach out to that person whose module you're using, but you have a question about, and it can, who knows what that can lead to, you know? Um, there's yeah. a lot of awesome things that can happen when you give yourself the chance for things to happen. There's a, there's a, there's a common phrase um, locally, which uh, Jordan's going to go, what and Google the words immediately. I'm excited um, about this. But the the, the the phrase we would use up here is "shy Ben's getting out," and they both just nodding, going, "What did he just say?" <laughs> I think I know what it means. I think it, <laughs> if you're a shy Ben, you're not getting seen. You're, you you got to be a squeaky wheel to get the grease. So it's shy Ben's. I'll type it in just so you can get the spelling. And it's basically. Oh my gosh! It's a. Uh, so Benz is um, traditionally from the word barn, which is Scandinavian for child. Um, so it's shy children get nothing. So by not speaking up, by not um, asking questions, by not getting involved, you don't get the, the benefits and the advantages that that brings. So whether that be asking something so when I started like the, the global PowerShell community with these reams and reams of text and people with loads of knowledge answering, I was like, I can't ask a question in there. Everyone's going to think I'm stupid. But as I got involved in the UK one, which is a lot, a lot smaller, a lot more approachable for me, who was quite new, where um, there was fewer people sharing knowledge and it was a little bit slower paced. And then eventually I built up the courage to to ask in, in the, the wider community, in the global PowerShell community. And now, maybe not so much now, but at the time when 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 I was really involved with the community and I had fewer kids and more time, I was really involved in there all the time, all the different channels, sharing code and helping. And now, like I say, that, that's, that's changed slightly, but there's still that element of, uh, I'd like to come across as that I'm approachable and and I, I do 
quite regularly get messages on Twitter or GitHub or um, notifications, emails. Like my my stuff is out there now. Like I'm I'm contactable, and if if anybody does want to contact me, uh, I'm more than willing to to help in some way, shape, or form. But even if that's just a case of pointing somebody in the right direction to to get some answers. So. I have a solution for those that are shy. I'm going to give them my path and they can try that. They can just copy this. And what you got to do is be so terrified you're not providing enough at your office that you agree to to go onto a webcast. <laughs> and, then, and then they'll show enough faith in you. They'll keep on putting more and more of that on you. And eventually you're, you're out there in the public doing stuff and you, have, you don't know how you got here. That, that's how I'd recommend it. And then, and then, and then by the end of it, you get to meet people where you learn true Geordie language. This is, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd ever be here in a group. I, I love where I'm at. I, I feel pretty lucky. I, I get to talk tech and PowerShell basically every day. That's, that's a dream. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, we're out here in the tech world. We're solving technical issues. Uh, that's at least what we kind of think we're getting into. It's like where these we're going to solve and work with computers all the time. And then as we go through things, at least for me, I've found that a lot of the most enjoyment I get from my job is where the computers meets the human, whether that be me interacting with other people on my team or the community helping them out, or when someone gets value from a script that I've written, you know, that human connection took my expectations from IT from just like, oh, this is just a cool job, whatever, I'll be fixing systems, blah, 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 to this really awesome kind of forward momentum of like, I'm helping someone. Oh, it's helping my career get better. Oh, it's making me feel good about myself. I want to help more people. It's just this kind of cool this, thing. This constant endorphin hits of that felt good. And, and, but other people, when it, when it benefits other people more, so like you feel good because it hasn't just been wasted effort. And I mean, it's not wasted effort anyway, because you've done it for a reason, but when it can help other people as well and, and save them the, the same pain and effort that you went through, that, that, that endorphin hit is, yes. is quite, it's quite intoxicating and a little bit sort of addictive. And it's like, I want to help more people. And it just, it, it kind of stems from like what I, going back to what I said at the start, where I felt like I had to give back to the community and it is actually quite addictive to just being like, I want to help more people and, and, and give more people the help that I received. And it's kind of, it's kind of where I am now and, and, and talking a bit about how sort of my contributions to the community changed. Um, I spent quite a sig significant amount of time kind of mentoring people as opposed to, um, as opposed to actually doing writing blog posts. And I was pretty drained over COVID and a little bit burned out, I think. And it was, it was quite nice having those, one-to-one -one interactions and communication with people and it was it just often started where somebody might might ping me on discord from the powershell discord server and then, then i would end up just having conversations back and forth and and before you know it i'm like giving them like career advice and like it's just weird how those organic connections work and if, if there's people that that you can reach out to and, and they're receptive to that i think and go for it, grab it with both hands because it's so beneficial. Yeah. Find your entry point that works for you and where you are. I think that in your story, you mentioned you wanted to start with your more local PowerShell group to kind of chat with them and kind of gauge it out. And then from there, you, you moved on and still stayed involved or whatever. But yeah, find your entry point if you're not already getting involved and kind of start that journey. Because yeah. to get where Brett is today, it has taken a lot of steps and you have to kind of start that process. You don't have to get there at the end result immediately, 
but kind of set yourself up because it's a beautiful, amazing journey. That's what you hear everyone talk on this um, podcast about <laughs> every week. It feels like is just how much, how amazing the journey is and how efficient it is to help others and to contribute. For me, at least that's what kind of really takes off. It's, it's so efficient. It's good for, from so many angles. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I can't believe yeah. we get to talk about this stuff. And it's like, it's, um, I seen Jess Pomfret actually. We, we we mentioned her before. Um, she tweeted something, or she retweeted something, where um, people were talking about encouraging new people to speak at user groups and conferences instead of those keynote speakers and the same names you see across the board. And th- and that was quite poignant to me because that was kind of how how I got started. So the the Microsoft Teams, but well, there's lots of segues into previous bits um, the, the teams module I, I, I wrote a blog post about how to use it as well and um uh ebru ebru i think it's ebru um who used to host the london PowerShell user group um asked me if i wanted to go down there and speak um i mean i was fortunate that um, my i was working remote at the time and my head office was in london so i was able to uh, arrange a visit to the london office which was paid for um, and also attend and speak at the London PowerShell user group, um, which was nerve-wracking, traveling to London. I'm, I mean, I'm not a very well-traveled person. Um, they don't let us out much, and I quite like being in the north away from the southerners. Um, so that's, that's America that I've annoyed with the football and all of the southerners. We're going, we're going global with this uh, these con- contentious issues. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I, I was able to travel down, but there was that, initial contact to me asking if I wanted to speak. Now, obviously, it took a bit of courage to, to build up to that. I have written a blog post. I mean, it wasn't the smoothest presentation. I was still drawing the slides on the train on the way down and going over what I was going to say and then immediately forgot everything that I wanted to say and how to work a computer. But it's it's kind of, it's all, it, it's a learning process. And, and it's one of those things that you say, get started make that initial contact and and then everything else kind of just it does just fall into fall into place so that's awesome i I know i'm moving back to an old part of the conversation here but i I figured out what could get me started in carpentry (laughs) if i can slap a what if on the lumber it's like oh no that's not the result i want let me uh let me rework that then i'm i'm in but until that happens i'm out (laughs) that's so nerdy i love it (laughs) Dash, what if? (laughs) (laughs) So my problem is, is the that's the the what if of carpentry. Measure twice, cut once. There's no, there's no. You get to cut it again. If you cut it short, it's short, and that's it. That's Norm Abram, the uh, new Yankee workshop, and this old house guy. Does it say else? I I can't get my cut to fall within my measurement. No matter how many times I measure it, it doesn't matter. My cut's terrible. That's what Phil is for. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brett, you mentioned people are DMing you. You're a social guy. You're helping people. You're dropping mentorship all over the place. Is that where can people reach you? Uh, are you on Twitter? What's your Twitter? People are interested. They're they're trying to get started. Maybe Brett is the one to kind of give them that little word of encouragement. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite. Um, present on Twitter. It's now that what I'm present with on Twitter is slightly changed as as my sort of career has moved on as well. But I'm on a at Brett Millett underscore IT. There was a guy who had a better handle who hadn't used his account for a significant amount of time. 
and then about three years ago sent one tweet. So I was kind of hoping that Twitter were going to kick him off, but now he decided that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, and and my domain is millerb.co.uk, and that's where my blog resides. Um, there's a well-known housing company which has millerb.co.uk in the UK, so I have to wait for those, them to go bust before I can steal that domain. That's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think my contact details, if you, go, if you go to the blog or on Twitter, a lot of my... Uh, GitHub, LinkedIn, various contact details are there. So, uh, yeah, please feel free, reach out. Um, and I'm more than happy to have conversations and and help people in any way, shape, or form if they need that advice or if they need to know where to get started or they need to know where to go to find a certain bit of information. We went into Twitter a little bit. I'm about to ask you a question. This is the question that has been the most pressing to me. I need an answer on this. I need I, the whole world wants to know. Uh, both you and Justin Grody mentioned yak shaving in, in your description. Is this a planned thing or is this just pure coincidence that uh, you are a specialist yak shaver and he's a yak shaver of the highest order? <laughs> I mean, the, we're all yak shavers. I mean, that, is, that is our job. And the yak shaving is a, a, a term coined where in order to do the task that you set out to do, you have to shave the yak first. And that is basically something else gets in the way. Oh, you have to solve this problem. Before you do that, you have to solve this problem. Before you do that, you have to solve this problem. And you have to solve all of those problems before you solve the initial problem that you set out to achieve. So, so it's a common expression. Okay. I, I, yeah. I didn't realize it's a common expression. I just thought both you guys mentioned yak. I was like, what's going on here? Like, well, you don't have a yak. You don't have yak. Yeah. No, I've got, I've got uh, like three mongoose, a couple of civets. Yeah, all I, I know have... is uh, yakety yak. Don't talk back. That's as far as my yak knowledge goes. <laughs> all right. Okay, so so yak shaving is a common thing. So you both independently came to you. You both knew the expression. Yeah. Okay. We we, we traded yaks. Um, you traded yaks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He traded me two alpacas, and I gave him one of my yaks. That's fair. It seems like a fair trade. I don't know the the value of an alpaca to a yak, but I'm going to assume two to one is great. Yeah, now not. let's think here. Hold on, PowerShell <laughs> is a yak for some people when they're trying to solve problems, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's totally. the yak that needs to be shaven. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, I constantly. So every time I I mentioned about diving down this Microsoft Teams wormhole of after learning this, after learning that, and it's uh, is it the Carl Sagan quote? about um before you can make apple before you can make an apple pie you have to reinvent the universe i can't remember the exact quote but it's it's something along those lines and that was that is every time i go to solve a problem in a programming language that i don't understand that's like oh but now i have to learn this thing over here and before i learn that thing i have to actually understand this concept and then i go i'm going to make a coffee i've i haven't got time to learn this and it's it kind of stems back to that it's a similar sort of premise that my brain wants to learn stuff quickly. I don't want to set out, do something, and then in three weeks' time, finally get around to it. I'm like, I want immediate results because of those endorphin hits that I mentioned previously. <laughs> How do you manage when there is a yak that's going to take weeks to shave? Like, I guess as a consultant, you probably are a yak shaving specialist these days, right? Here's yeah. a new project. Here's a new tech. I love um, this conversation so Do you much. have to, like... <laughs> Do you do outlines or how do you manage that? Because I'm similar to you. I want to kind of, okay, I'm working on a problem. Let me just bang it out. If it's more than that, and I have to kind of tap into that deeper level where I'm like comparing multiple documents, remembering how this particular command works. 
How do you um, approach that? I think it's just being quite methodical about it. It's say, like, so right, first I have to solve this problem. Right, what do I need to do that? How does that formulate the bigger picture and the problem I'm trying to solve initially? And I think it's just trying not to take your eye off what it is that you're trying to initially do because it's quite easy to get lost in the shaving of the yak and then forget to go back to actually solve the problem. And I mean, I've done that plenty of times. Um, and I think a lot of it just comes down to experience. You kind of get to that point where you know which problem to tackle first and which problems to leave alone because they are going to take you down a rabbit hole that you're never going to get back from. Um, and that there's no accounting for how long something will take besides building up that experience of I know where I need to be and how I need to do this initially. Um, whereas earlier on in my career, it probably would have taken me a lot longer to come up and make those sensible decisions and get lost down that rabbit hole. And before you know it, I'm having tea with Alice and the Mad Hatter and forgetting all of the wonderful things that I set out to do. <laughs> so you don't write anything down. You just keep it all in your head or are you taking notes? Or are you writing down the list of the small problems you need to solve? Because for me, my brain couldn't. Okay. Okay. So you are writing some stuff down because I'm thinking. I always try and tell myself I'm going to do everything digital, but I quite like fine liners and pens and books and I've got any amount of, and actually when I do the the courses for the certifications, what I generally do is go through the material and make notes of what I think are the, the finer points that I need to remember. And that just helps solidify concepts and, and, and memory. Cause I've got, I mean, I've got a shock in memory, like stuff. It's weird. It's selective, but I can remember. Th I can remember a message I sent to somebody on Twitter in 2017, and the words to find that. But my wife can send me to the shop for two things, and I can only come. I only come back with one. Like this, just my brain is fundamentally broken in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I, I tend to write stuff down to solidify in memory. Um, but I do also keep digital notes mark down one note i've tried all of the possible note taken applications out there um and i tend to stick with functional stuff on paper even if i have to type it up later on like stuff that i'm presently working on but stuff that i know i'm not going to need immediately i'll stick digitally somewhere in a, in an archive somewhere that i can reference i tend to uh, heavily use uh, browser bookmarks uh, and sort those by sort of technology or project. Or if I'm looking at something, so it's like the Teams bot, I might have 15 tabs open. I'll highlight all the tabs and I'll save those tabs into a folder so that when I want to go back to it, I can just reopen all those tabs and kind of remember where I was up to without tab hoarding um, and, and keeping you know, like 3 billion tabs open. I've got, I've got no desktop icons and I've generally only got like two browser tabs open at a time. I'm easily distracted when there's too much going on and I, and I sit I sit in focus assist all day so I don't get any notifications on on my laptop Same. That, that's terrible at times because I do miss stuff but I would rather miss stuff every now and then with fewer distractions than have constant emails and teams and slack and discord and twitter and facebook and whatsapp and <laughs> all these other pings all day I've recently taken my work email and calendar off of my phone and it's caused some minor problems here and there, but overall my quality of life 
by not having these alerts of this unimportant email came in at two in the morning has been wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, I think going back to what you said about being happy where I am now, I think one of the, the nice things about doing the consultancy work is it's because it's on the clock most of the time. It's, it's like that option of doing stuff out of hours is very much voluntary. Like I'm, I might sit and do something for an hour on an evening that I know I need to might get caught up on for the following day, but there's no out of hours. There's no on call. I have a separate phone. I don't. I can't even access work stuff on my personal phone at all. Even if I wanted to, this, the security don't allow it. So I've got a separate phone which stays on my desk most of the time. I sometimes take it downstairs if I know I'm, I, need, I might need it in the morning. Um, but it, for for a while, I just sat on my desk flat. I didn't even charge it because we tend to use Teams and it's generally in hours. And I think for me, that quality of life of having that rigid structure and like I said, being fiercely protective of my private time is kind of a good place for me right now. Now that might change in future, but um, yeah, not having constant alerts and pings and notifications. Now my wife still goes mad because I spend time on personal stuff or community stuff answering like she was like wait who are you talking to like last night and i was like oh the, just this portuguese guy um from the powershell community um she's like oh is this some, something community related i'm like no he's talking about the sport in lisbon versus tottenham game because he knows i quite like football <laughs> so it was a community interaction which has ended up just stemming this friendship or relationship over our love of football because he knows I take my son to the football and um so it's it, it's quite interesting where, where the community leads you and and kind of the faces you see and the people you meet and actually the friendships that spawn from that. Yeah, it's more than just I guess what it what it says on the tin uh, to be involved in this community. Yeah, I mean my my, my wife is a standing joke because um there's, there's a there's a common pattern with me in community. So everything that I do, I tend to have a look to see if there's a community out there. Um, so when um, I used to, at a very young age, 16, 17, I used to be quite into cars and, and things like that. And I ended up in, involved in a local car community where they would all like, I mean, it was, I think it was like, it was probably before the first Fast and the Furious and then nobody was driving around in Supras at the time. And it was all, 1980s rust buckets and stuff but um it was involved in the community again and then sort of later on in life uh, in uh, my music i got involved um in in, in music and in a, com- a couple of communities around um electronic music specifically but um a lot of the people that i got involved with in that community i would actually class as my real friends now like we had a meet up in london and I think I speak to them more than I speak to my friends who are local here. Like they just spawned these friendships and relationships because of that common interest. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a common pattern with me getting involved with communities, not just in the PowerShell world, but just in general. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a social kind of guy, I would say, I suppose if that's kind of the common pattern here. It sounds like each time you get involved in the community, whether it's PowerShell or otherwise, you kind of get some positive experience, which kind of gives you an, an incentive to try it again. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's weird. Like I, I, I've never really thought about this <laughs> that much until now. I suppose that, that 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 common pattern runs through it all. But yeah, there's there's 
lots of commonalities there and um, those friendships spawn and um, I think it's since the first time we met up I think it's probably past 10 years now for, for the, the, the friends I met in the in the music community like and we've all like had kids now and been married and like all these other changes and got old and moan about modern day music and the usual dad related things and like oh, music was so much better in the 90s <laughs> YouTube or U2 <laughs> oh no not U2 I can't do U2 Okay, you too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for other people's taste in music, but not you too. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to make sure we don't miss this because something very exciting happened last week. I think you went to an in-person PowerShell meetup. Is that true? Real people in a real room with stickers and food. Whoa. It was crazy. I mean, it was a long couple of days for me um but uh, as per the the previous previous conversation where i said work paid for me to go down to london um, i was able to get my employer to, to send me down to southampton um because you went to a southampton powershell yeah, user group that's right yeah the southampton powershell user group um I actually before COVID, i committed to go down then and present um the, the month everything got locked down over in the uk um, so Adam Adam Cook, who runs the PowerShell user group down there now, uh, reached out and said that they're planning on doing an in-person event and would I like to speak, given that I'd committed several years earlier, whenever it was. Um, so I was like, I checked with my wife to make sure that I was allowed and that there was nothing else that I was double booking for because I have a tendency to do that. Um, and, and, and said, yeah, let's go for it. And then work, we're like, yeah, we'll pay for that. That sounds like a good initiative. Uh, and I was like, "This is great! I get to go to Southampton." And then we realised that it was also the same, uh, the same week that the the children went back to school after the summer holidays. So it was a little bit chaotic to organise. I would normally have flown down, uh, but instead I drove down, which was quite a lengthy drive. The drive there was fine. It was on a Sunday. It was quiet, but uh, drive back was in torrential rain for the most part. But yeah, we went down, and it, it was it was really good. There was a, a Yaprasa who. Uh, came over from from uh, Holland, and um, Adam Bacon, um, who I believe you've already had on the podcast, um, to talk about his modules, and uh, he was he was presenting on on some of the work he's been doing recently down there as well. And Jess Pomfret was there, and uh, Rob Sewell was there, um, and um, a couple other people. Matt Penny, uh, I don't know if you follow Matt on on Twitter. Um, it was it was good it was amazing and just having that in real life interactions and in front of people and yeah i had I had a ball presenting on azure functions and powershell um which is like my current uh current love of powershell and, and serverless um that was it was amazing just getting around a room full of enthusiastic people and having those conversations that is that was personal and not over a screen so I think I think we've noticed that specifically in virtual conferences or virtual user groups, there's been a lot less interaction recently. I don't know if it's just meeting fatigue or, or, or people like me where they're now going, I'm not doing that out of work. And just it's been it's died it's died a little bit in terms of attendance, in terms of even if people are attending, there's a lot less interaction. Uh, and I know I know from a personal perspective, I'm very much a oh, I can't be bothered. So. 
like that. It's like bang in the middle of like when I should be sorting the kids' bedtime out and like that priority that priority shift. Whereas before I would maybe have been running around with a, a user group on my phone whilst like trying to dress a child with one arm and <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it was quite nice to get, get to that in person event and, and meet everyone and have food together and I didn't hug anyone. I think I should have hugged everyone though. Did you pound their fists? Did you give them some dap? Yeah, there was lots of fist bumps. Uh, there's, there's still very much an etiquette of nobody knows whether to handshake or fist bump. And it's, mm. it's that awkward. Uh, 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 yeah. Oh, you do the secret handshake. You just go yeah. straight in for it, right? You don't do either. <laughs> you grab their hand, start doing stuff. Oh, oh what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned seeing Adam Bacon, and we have some special news. He was on our podcast a few episodes ago and mentioned that he was looking for work, and he has found a deserving role working on some awesome PowerShell stuff for uh, a good little situation for him and his family. So we're very excited and happy for him. Um, awesome guy, deserves awesome things, and it's great to see success stories like that. Yeah, he said he said he had something in the pipeline. I think when um, when I was down there, oh, there we come. I'm flicking my camera because it went all blurry. Um, and so yeah, over the moon to see that he's that he's found something. Um, I actually inquired at Capgemini to see if there was any open roles that he could possibly um, apply for here. Um, but yes, yeah, so cool, so cool. He's found something, and it sounds like it's it's right down up his street in terms of PowerShell and automation as well. So, I mean, who who wouldn't want that gig? So. Yeah, that's awesome. That awesome. It's it's got to be an exciting time for him right now. You know, I know he was excited to get on the podcast with us. Then he has a successful time at the user group, getting a new job, making all these new friends. You know, um, it's so great to see that kind of someone else's PowerShell journey flourish. And that's it. And it goes back to what we were saying about the PowerShell community, and and obviously just seeing him go from from that situation, which I know he said he was, he wasn't looking forward to. And, and I think he's had a bit of a time looking for work and we all know what it's like when, you, when you're looking for work. So over the moon, congratulations, Adam. All right. So it's our time for our consistent questions. Is that what we're calling this segment, Jordan, if we want to even call it a segment? I mean, what consistent questions? We need a, we need a jingle. Do, do, do. Yeah, we do. We, we need a jingle. We do need a whole switchboard where I can start adding sound effects. I want to be like a, a morning radio You show. get the keys to the castle. I'm just at your mercy. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could always leave Florida and come in. Hey, I will. In January, we'll do an in-person one. You're going you're gonna to be here? I'll be in here. Yeah, first week of January. I'm going to headquarters. Fantastic. Yep. Well, back to the consistent questions. <laughs> Mr. Brett Miller, what is one time something went wrong while on the job and how did you handle it? Kind of what ended up happening and what did you learn? Whew, and let's so go I, the worse, the better. Like the, the worse, oh, yeah, the, story, yeah. the more damage, the better. He did so measure twice. The, <laughs> the, the presentation that I gave down at the PowerShell Southampton Music Group um, had, a lot, had this particular scenario in as well because it was based on a, a migration project that it that I went through at my last organization. Um, and that was a, we were migrating virtual machines uh, in already in Azure from one subscription to another, upgrading them from classic ASM to ARM. Uh, and I'd written PowerShell to automate the entire process. So it migrated uh, a SQL server, a significant amount of databases, a virtual machine, storage accounts, and virtual machine disks, 
um, from one subscription to the other. Um, and then it it, it updated a, an automated system which managed those VMs and, and all this other convoluted architecture. Um, I'd written this quite gargantuan PowerShell automation using Azure Functions. So it was all serverless. And going back to what we said about not having to write C++ and low-level code, it was literally just serverless code. PowerShell deployed in Azure. Didn't have to worry about how it ran, where it ran to an extent. Um, and I attempted the migration. Migration worked successfully first time, which I was dubious of. Going back to what we said earlier on, it shouldn't work first time. Um, but then uh, the first, so this, this, there's a couple of um, oopsies in this. Um, when the QA engineer went to test the migration in, on the new VM, um, the, the application wouldn't work. So we went, oh no. We actually migrated, because of the way that the, the architecture was set up, we'd migrated 32 of the customer VMs. Um, these were live production VMs for customers that had went through testing in the test environment. Um, and the, the product didn't work. Um, so we, we had to roll everything back. So we had to turn off the new stuff, turn on the old stuff, repoint all the orchestration and the, the automated system back to the old stuff. Um, realized these VMs were Active Directory domain joined. So when we built the new ones, they were domain joined with the same computer name as the old one so that we didn't have to modify that. So in order to roll back, we then had that Active Directory domain join the old ones. But because they were no longer on the domain, we had to connect to each of those via IP address. Um, <laughs> and, and connect those back to the domain and get them working. There was no customer outage. Um, but when we did a, a, a root cause into what the problem was, um, the problem was that the storage accounts that we provisioned in the new subscription um, had HTTPS enabled by default, which is good, but the uh, the product that was managing those VMs didn't have HTTPS enabled. It, it was using HTTP, and in the old world, HTTPS wasn't enabled, so it was a misconfiguration when we provisioned the new storage accounts. So we're like, that's great. The, the, the migration worked. It's just that setting. So we'll modify that setting, we'll update the code to make sure that it can do what it needs to do. And it's the same in both both areas. We'll, we'll do the migration again. Same batch, same 32 VMs. Um, so we did the migration again. That failed horribly again. Um, now this was purely down to us. So one of the steps is one of the steps in that migration is that once it's finished migrating everything, the orchestration platform which manages everything has to know which subscription it's in what the storage account is, what the VM is called, which resource group it's in, the NIC, like all the configuration you would expect from a, a virtual machine. Um, what we hadn't done is when we rolled it back the first time, we hadn't removed the initial entry that it was inserted into the database after we rolled back. So when we ran the code again, it tried to insert new values in the database, but the T-SQL that we were using for that was checking for an existing value. And if it was there, it wasn't going to insert it. So oh. it failed uh, on that particular step, but the rest of the migration went through. Uh, so then what we had to do once we realized what had happened is we had to modify all the PowerShell that we'd 
deployed to Azure Functions, rewrite it so that it could be ran in a for each loop from a JSON file of all of the VMs that we were migrating. To get to finish the migration, we had to update the SQL database live. This is like 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, we had to update the, the, the database, so rewrite all the T-SQLs so that it inserted the correct values. Um, there was a dynamic part of this migration process where it randomly selected a, a, a storage account to put the data in. So we had to figure out from the logs where it had put everything so that we could update the database with the correct values. And then actually what we realized is the last part of that process was and we told the orchestration system to reprovision the virtual machine. So we built a new new virtual machine and we told the orchestration system, right, you can now install the product on this machine, go and do your thing, add the users, do what you need to do. So we hooked into the existing orchestration so we didn't have to write that code. Now the first part of that process um, is it detaches the, it turns the virtual machine off, detaches the data disk where all of the, the customer data is, it deletes the VM, builds a new VM, and then puts the data disk back. And then it installs the product and does all the nice, shiny, new, here's everything you need. Because of the database error of those records already being there, that provisioning step, what it did is it detached, the, it turned off the old VM, detached the data disk, deleted the VM, and then went, the database says that I should be over here now. So I deleted the rollback option because it deleted the old VM rather than the new VM. So we were at a point at 2 a.m. in the morning where we had no rollback option because the orchestration system had just deleted the old VM and the new VMs weren't working because the database didn't know about them. And that was a very much a, I'm going to have to ring my boss. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. This is not going to go down well. Um, but yeah. We actually, so yeah, rewriting the PowerShell and, and fixing the database manually at like two, three o'clock in the morning and then going through the reprovision process was kind of, um, it was close. Like I think we finished at about 6 a.m. our time, which was 7 a.m. Spanish time where the customers were. They were like, so there was no technical, technically a production outage, but it was a horrible experience of a migration. Um, so that, yeah, the things I learned from that don't manually change databases at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, no, because that wasn't actually the issue. The issue was when you the rollback for the previous migration that went wrong. Um, so yeah, I think I have lots of tests, lots and lots of tests, whether they be manual, automatic tests, automated tests, unit tests, integration tests, have more, have more than you need, and then have some on top of that. Um, because there was lots of areas for improvement. Um, the, the error handling in our code wasn't particularly efficient, so it, when it should have failed, it didn't, and and various other things, so we we needed a test for that. Um, and it was the good old issue of production doesn't quite match the test environment because the test environment worked, um, but the config was slightly different between the two. So. so cascading errors like that are the worst, where it was a minor thing to start with, and then a change from trying to recover from that leap. Yeah, that's, there's nothing more frustrating than that where the first thing is completely understandable, HTTPS versus HTTPA, HTTPA. Yeah. It's, it's great if you catch it, but if not, it's completely understandable. But the the list of errors that build off from it, that that's the worst case scenario in my mind because it gets more and more frustrating 
and, and more and more complicated because yeah. it's like, well, okay, we now need to fix the database. Or now the old VMs have gone. We now need to, we've got no option but to roll forward. Like we literally can't roll back because that VM's gone. That's getting anxiety just from hearing the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, we live it. So, so the, the presentation I gave down at, at, at PowerShell, so that music goes goes over that. Um, but I've, uh, I've got the code and stuff like that, and, and the demo on that, and it's it's quite funny because it's just lots of me going, oh. and I still like now. It's just painful thinking about three o'clock in the morning with my face on the desk, like. No, what have I done? <laughs> I think I think the key takeaway is probably having that domain knowledge around how you would even go about fixing that on the fly was important because nobody wants to be handcrafting PowerShell or T-SQL queries at three o'clock in the morning. So if anything, I think our rollback plan could have been better. Our oops, there's no rollback plan, we need to roll forward plan if anyone even makes those um <laughs> could have been better and now i sort of test them throughout the entire thing could have been better but it was a it was a learning a, a learning experience <laughs> nice let's go to a happier question so i can get rid of the anxiety here <laughs> with your knowledge now what is one tip that you would give your younger self when first starting in it or maybe just powershell specifically um, probably something we've touched on already, actually, very briefly, is that um, judging yourself against others, I think, was a key fundamental flaw when I started out. I was looking at these people in, in the PowerShell Discord or the PowerShell Slack at the time, and I was going, these, these people are so knowledgeable. Like, And then when you take a step back and you put it into perspective, a lot of the people at the time had 10 years experience on me say just as a, I mean, not everyone, but if, if you look at some of the people in the, in, in the community who are held in high regard, a lot of them have more experience purely because they are older and there's, you, you literally cannot challenge that. Like you can't be like, Oh, well, I want to be 10 years older so I can know all these things. You literally have to do the time saved. There's no, cheat code there's no quick way about that you have to do that time to get that experience and in 10 years time am i going to be as knowledgeable as they are quite likely am i going to know the exact same things as they are probably not but when i started out i was i need to know all of the things i need to be as good as these people are and i think i try to i think i try to overcompensate a little bit and knowing that my background wasn't in computer science or programming, I felt like I had to overcompensate for being present, being online, learning all the things, being involved in all the things, being in the community all the time, answering questions all the time. And it kind of that addictive bit kind of took over. Um, so I think it's kind of knowing when to switch off and knowing when to think about the mental aspect of getting too involved because it, it's quite easy to do that. And that, that's when kind of burnout and and the the mental health issues that come with the industry kind of come into play, which I've definitely suffered from myself quite recently with burnout and yeah, it's not good. So I think probably just take care of yourself and don't judge yourself against others. Kind of look at where you were one, three, five years ago. And, and as long as you're making progress from where you were at those points, then 
that's an achievement. Don't think you can. You need to be as good as everyone else because that does, just doesn't happen. Good advice. Shout out to young Brett. I hope you're taking this advice. The young Brett's <laughs> out there. I wish I wish uh, that message when I started out, and I probably would have been too big-headed to listen anyway. So <laughs> sometimes we learn the easy way. Sometimes we learn the hard way. I remember in my life when I was like, all right, I'm really going to start doing better at life. Let's start learning from the mistakes of other people instead of me making every single mistake myself. <laughs> like, let's just, if they say it works and it's a real like life lesson, it's agreed upon, let's not figure out the hard way. <laughs> it's actually easier to kind of like learn from others. Actually, like we mentioned earlier, it's more efficient. Um, no need to repeat the same problem multiple times. That, 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 that wet pain sign is not correct. <laughs> Is, 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 is this cooker hood hot? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes. And now we have the final, the most fun of the three consistent questions, which is what are three of your favorite modules or maybe three modules that you're really getting some use out of recently? So this, this is quite difficult because like I say, my role has changed slightly where sort of PowerShell is more of a passive thing as part of what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's probably the three mainstays. So uh, we've already touched on on one, which is Poshbot. Um, I think that's amazing, and the work Brandon Olin did on that, and and the fact that he was able to make it so modular and extensible, so that it didn't just support Slack. You could write a different backend from it, and looking through the code base of that for the Teams implementation, just mind blown. Using PowerShell classes and web sockets and all the stuff that you have to fall back to .NET for. Just it's an awesome module. And you're obviously talking about the slap command that 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 Yap implemented. And I've done a couple of presentations on Poshbot with Teams. And I know Nate Farrell, if you're not familiar with Nate, um he goes by Secret Headquarters and a lot of places are S C R T H Q on Twitter, I think he is. He wrote the Discord back end for it. And I know he did a lot with G Suite and, and maybe the whatever the G Suite version of the collaborative tool is. I mean, I'm miles away from G Suite, I'm not sure. Um, so just the fact that he had the foresight to create something that was that extensible and modular from the off, even though it only had one use case, was just like mind-blown. I went through this similar journey with Poshbot <laughs> where I, like, I learned about classes from doing something on that or fixing something with the team's implementation of Poshbot. Yeah, yeah. And it really was an eye-opening experience where I was like, yo, he's really out here doing some developer stuff. Like he's yeah. really out here thinking. Um, but I think he kind of based it on the approach taken from other kind of chatbots. So it wasn't all original thoughts. You know, he had some experience with this in the past, like you mentioned, that kind of probably made it a little bit less like, you know, we see it as this genius moment for him. It probably is like using patterns and stuff he's already seen yeah. to go about accomplishing something. Yeah, and even but, so, um, I remember watching uh, Glenn Sardi wrote... Mm. Uh, I think he was presenting at Summit, uh, and his session was um, around using Mattermost, which is another chat version. And he, he he live streamed on Twitch, writing a Mattermost backend for Poshbot. And I remember I was watching that on Twitch whilst he was doing it, and I just like that connection with Poshbot, and just I'm just constantly amazed at how how awesome the module is. And even if I, I don't use it right now. But I've always been dipping in and out, and actually, I've just opened a pull request for the Teams backend to upgrade the Azure Function Teams webhook to version three 
of the Azure functions because somebody messaged me on Twitter and said they couldn't get it working and would I mind having a look. So they, uh, I spun up a, a function locally, figured out what I needed to do to upgrade it to V3 and then opened a pull request. It's still open in draft at the moment because I wasn't, I didn't have a way to test it because I don't have a Poshbot instance. Uh, so if you have a, a Teams Poshbot instance lying around, Andrew, then uh, the plan was to spin one up. But I mean, it's a pretty simple web. We could, if the function works, all it's doing is dropping a message onto a service bus queue. So it, it probably works, but I didn't have a way of verifying that. And I've learned from past experiences where not enough tests doesn't work well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Look at this. Love it. We've come full circle in so many ways. Life lessons. <laughs> so, but now Poshbot is probably up there with, with one of my favorite modules that all right. I don't, I don't use every day, but I, it's always there. And I, I always have lots of little ideas around Poshbot modules and things to play with as well. So, um, There's two more that we need, though. This is, You said <laughs> this is a hard question. Nobody said this was going to be easy, Brett. I didn't Probably. message you saying, hey, do you want to be on an easy podcast? You, you no. come on the PowerShell podcast, you come to work. <laughs> God, I told you I'm protective of my outdoors. <laughs> I'll send the invoice out. Um, probably the, the, the next one after that, which um, also amazed me, and I still use to this day to the point where I've downgraded versions of the PowerShell extension in VS Code is um, Patrick's uh, editor services command suite. So seemingly science on Twitter and in various social media platforms. And I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce Patrick's surname um, because I will do a terrible job at it. And I haven't got it in front of me to <laughs> to, to even make an attempt. Um, but Patrick now works on the PowerShell team as well, I believe. So um, the editor services command suite is a it's a VS Code um, extension uh, of the PowerShell uh, the language server, the, the PowerShell extension, which gives you lots of shortcuts when whilst writing PowerShell, for example, you can write a command out in one line and then use his extension to splat the command you've just typed so that you don't you get the full IntelliSense typing the command out and then just convert it to a splat afterwards. Um, and the the other one that I use loads in that is um, the string interpolation commands. So you can write a string out with um, variables within the string and then convert it to uh, a, a literal string, using uh, a literal with the format operator. So I tend to use string placeholders and use the format operator with the variables at the end, but I could type it out all in one and then convert it at the end. That was another one that I used quite regularly. Um, and it, it, it just so such a time saving extension. Um, but it's a module that plugs into VS code and registers the extensions uh, or registers the commands in VS code for you. Um, so that's probably my second one. And, um, that's probably a mainstay that I've used quite consistently since he released it. It's been through various iterations of broken as they've updated the PowerShell extension. Um, but Patrick always seems to come up with a way of getting it to work again. <laughs> so whether that be using beta versions or he publishes a, a fix and I think you know, he was waiting on a, a full rewrite of the extension at one point. So um, I don't envy him having to support an open source project like that, that a lot of people do find quite useful whilst VS Code is fundamentally changing underneath <laughs> what he's busy trying to work from. So a lot of credit to him for that. Um, and then probably third is uh, one of Chris Dent's modules, uh, and it's the indented 
.net.ip module, um, and it's a PowerShell module for doing um, subnetting and IP-related maths. So you can give it, say, a CIDR network of a slash 24, and it tells you what the range is, what the subnet mask is going to be. Um, and if you've ever had to do those calculations manually, it's a lot of bits and bytes and figuring out <laughs> where things are and what subnets need to be in. And I've, I've used uh, that indented.net IP uh, in, in big projects in organizations when you're trying to work out what the next subnet is that you need to use to provision VMs. And so it, it, it's not a full IPAM solution for, for tracking things, but it's so quick and easy to work out that it makes zero sense for you to try and work that out yourself when you can just use the module. It's 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 such a cool little tool. And Chris has done all the hard work of the maths operations under the hood that you don't have to think about it. It's, I think he showcased that as a lightning demo at Summit this year. Did, did he? I'm trying to think. When was Summit? That's do, I the, do I have the wrong? Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't I think, think somebody did something. I don't think it was Chris Dent, though. You know, Chris Dent. Oh, Chris Dent. Was, I'm sorry. I was thinking Chris Martin. He had his own. He did, he showcased something. Something. That's right. I think it was. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's a few. I think. Um, who else has done one? Mark Rag. Is. Actually, I think it might be based down in Southampton. Actually, segways all over the place. Um, he did a, he did a similar one, um, but the, the, the Chris Dent's modules it's really thorough in, in terms of it can do all the conversions back and forth, and it just saves such a headache if you don't want to go down that subnet. That's that's one of the one of the things that I had issues with in the easier certifications as well. And it was like, what would you change about this IP address or subnet configuration to make sure that you had? I'm like, oh, come on. Something in my head in an exam. Like I'd, look, I'd open a side calculator and I'd work it out. <laughs> um, but then I'd probably throw a, a kind of a curveball fourth option in there as well, which is um, a toolbox module, which is just a module I've written. It's out on my GitHub and I just oh, called it. Oh, little self promo here. Okay. Oh, I like it. Um, and it's, 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 there's nothing flash in it. But it's like it's just a, a thing that I always use with my profile, and it's um, the stuff like um, what's the main one? Is this the get syntax one? Um, which it, when you do get help about a command, you know how when you when you do um, sorry get command the command and then syntax and it prints the syntax so you can see what the parameters are, what parameter types they take, whether or not that, that parameter is mandatory. The syntax one, it prints it down the screen rather than across. Um, and it's the same, so it looks the same as it does on the docs website. If you go to the command for the docs, it prints it down the screen, but it prints it in the terminal. So it's a lot easier to see the parameter sets and also which parameters are mandatory as part of those parameter sets. Um, I've always been intrigued on whether or not I could get that into the native PowerShell features, and then I look at the C sharp code and go, nope. Um, so I just use my mod uh, my module for that, and it's got a couple of other things in there. I think you can. It's got an export vault certificate, which I was surprised. What's the name of this? Uh, it's called Toolbox. Toolbox. Just the module. Yeah. Um, and it's on my GitHub, I think. Maybe. Oh, it's it's not we'll have it in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen who are listening. Um, and it's just it's just stuff that I've collected or created over my supposed career. Um, and it, I think 
so like the um, send grid bounced address was for uh, when I worked at Sage, and we constantly people would get blocked or they'd try and send an email to someone before they provisioned them in Office 365. And that was just a quick way to unblock um, stuff in SendGrid. Um, and yeah, just random stuff that I keep and I load in my profile and it's just available all the time. Um, and I've got, I think I've got a couple of blog posts about sort of like the VS Code setup and stuff like that where I show some of that off and the, the modules actually I've mentioned. So the edit backup services command suite and stuff are, are all in there. Yeah, that's that curveball of self-promotion at the end there. It was, it's not a bells and whistles module, but it's something that I use all the time. And it's stuff that I should add to more because there's definitely more that I'm now using that isn't in there. But it's, it, it comes in handy, and especially with that, that, that syntax one is just the the lifesaver for me, printing it down the screen like that. We'll for sure get that into the show notes. So, Brett... You are incredibly lucky because there are billions of people on the planet and fewer than 30 have had the privilege to watch Andrew spin pure gold while shilling. So, uh, you know, buckle up and just enjoy the magic. Yeah, magic. Uh, make me talk for a super long time and then put me on the spot. Let's do it. Um, thank you for listening. Um, we really appreciate everyone out there. PowerShell community, we've been talking about it for a while. We love it. We love our listeners. We love having these conversations. If you have been listening this whole time, like I always say, you're a friend of the show. Congrats. You like the same things we do. You're passionate about the same stuff. You are where you are. We're happy to have you there. Um, if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a subscription on uh, the YouTubes. You can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can email us at powershellpdq.com and just say what's up, tell us your story, tell us a cool module, if you have a guest suggestion, really whatever, hit us up. You can also hit us up on Twitter at PowerShellPod. That's all I got. Okay. And they say you can't you can't get better at perfection, but here we are. <laughs> Kept it short today, you know. Thank you so much for stopping by. This was a fantastic conversation. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, did we act shape? We probably act shape, right? I, th I think so. Shit, some yaks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. They are cunning, capable, agile, flexible. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com. <laughs>